When I first moved to Champaign over seven years ago, I was given a gift. It was a gift certificate to a dance studio for dance lessons. Now, truth be told, even though I grew up in the era of Michael Jackson and Bobby Brown, I'm more likely to resemble Pee Wee Herman in a personal dance than I am to make anything that seems to make sense. I'm more likely to bust a hip than bust a move, if you will. But this is where we begin this week as we start our series called Rhythm. We want to talk about dancing with the Spirit. You know, as a church, we want to help each other follow Jesus. That's what our mission is. But when we do that, we need to understand that our life is intended to be a life of surrender to Jesus. And in that posture of surrender, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, to direct us, to guide us in the way that we would live our life so that he would get glory and the world around us would be changed. As we unpacked our last series on the Holy Spirit, we began to understand the workings of who the Spirit is, why the Holy Spirit is what it does, and how it begins to impact our lives. But for us, a very important verse was kind of handed to us, Galatians 5.25. For since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The writer of Galatians is trying to help us understand that our life, as it's bearing fruit for the character of God in the world that we're a part of, should be led by the Spirit. And we don't want to push God into anything, and we don't want God to drag us in anything either. We want to live in a constant rhythm where God is guiding and directing us into the person that he intended us to be. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Now, what's been happening in the chapters ahead of that is a writer by the name of Paul has been describing the Christian life. In chapter 5, he's beginning to talk about how we're justified before God and how through the death of Jesus, he has now made a right relationship with us for God. Even though we express sin in our lives, lived in rebellion, our faith and repentance because of the sacrifice of Jesus has now led us into a right relationship with God. Chapter 6, he begins to describe how baptism is this life of surrender. How we died our old way of living to live in the newness of Jesus. And our identity is not in our past and our sins or our faults or or our misdoings. It's actually in the forgiveness of Jesus. That's how God sees us, as forgiven and restored. And chapter 7 reminds us that even though the law first exposed our sin, we now stand empowered because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So Romans chapter 8 starts with this word, therefore, and Paul is beginning to now say the new life that we live. Here's what it says. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us who have a relationship in Christ. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and from death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son, meaning Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be our sin offering, our sacrifice, his death on the cross. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the, to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul's helping us understand some good news right out of the gate. For those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, there's no condemnation. While the law exposed our sin, it also pointed to the standard by which God wants us to live our life. 
But we fall short on a regular basis. And so God gave us Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that became the payment of our sin. That became our life everlasting. That now empowers us. That same resurrection power that impacted Jesus now abides in us if we've surrendered our lives back to God. What happens is Paul begins to remind us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And in knowing that, there's this, there's this purpose that he's hoping that we understand. That while the law exposed our sin and our shortcomings, God has provided a bridge, a way for us to now live in this new life. But this life has a rhythm to it. And we need to begin to recognize the rhythm of God. See, God has a rhythm to life. God has a rhythm to life. And when we recognize that, we begin to understand God's purposes, God's way, God's desire for us. Now, we have the opportunity where God has sacrificed himself, himself, that he has given himself on our behalf. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's made us right before God. And we cannot clean up ourselves or even make God love us anyway. But God accepts us as we are and then transforms us through the work of Jesus to become the people that he intended us to become. Think about it. Now, most of us kind of live in a life where we want to clean up ourselves or fix our life. But if we were able to fix our life before coming to God, why would we need God? Paul reminds us that when we realize our sin and brokenness and surrender our lives to God, that God only, not only forgives us, or gives us life everlasting. He removes the condemnation to our lives, but he gives us his spirit. And his spirit now abide, abides in us to empower us to live a different life. There are two things that happen because of result of salvation, meaning the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The first one is this. It's justification. We are declared righteous before God because of the work of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross afforded for us the freedom to live a new life before God, free of condemnation in the forgiveness of our sins. And now this spirit has awakened in us a new life that now fuels us in this dance with God. A right relationship before God now begins to fuel us in the life that we lead, which leads us to sanctification. A sanctification is where we live out God's righteousness before others for the work of Jesus. Now, this is God's saving power active in our lives, expressed in the way we interact with each other and the life that we live in public sight. So if, if justification is that we have been saved from sin and the guilt of it, a sanctification is is being saved from the power of sin, meaning God now gives us the ability to overcome our weaknesses and our failures and our sin. But what happens is in this metaphor of a dance, we begin to understand our right relationship with God and his righteousness. And then the righteousness that we express, we now live out with each other. And so you could almost say that justification becomes our posture and sanctification becomes our footwork. Meaning the work that God has done to make us right with him is now expressed in the people around us. It's a dance where God leads us right before him and right before others. But every good dance has a song. 
there's a rhythm to it, a, a melody that kind of comes up. It, it, it's like your jam. It's what you hear and you're like, I got to get out. I got to dance. And so what happens over the next few verses in Romans chapter 8, 5 through 11, is Paul begins to describe this tug of war, this battling back and forth between the flesh and God's spirit. He says of our flesh, it has a mind of itself, but our spirit has the mindset of surrender. Uh, our flesh, it leads us towards death, but our, God's spirit will lead us towards life. Our flesh is hostile, it's rebellious towards God, but God's spirit brings us at peace with God. Our flesh is about our wants, our will, our way, our, our self-pleasing nature, but God's spirit, it's about what God wants. It's about God's will and God's way. It's about living a God-pleasing life. Here's what I know about God's will for Israel and for all of us, is that God has a song that he wants all of his people to live out. And God's song, and God's jam, God's song is holiness. You know, God's, God's jam is not naturally our jam. It's not naturally the song that we grow up wanting to live out. But as we begin to understand God's character and grow in his likeness, his song, his anthem, his jam becomes our jam. Uh, think of it this way. When the nation of Israel was called to be the people of God and to live out as a witness and a blessing to the world around them, God gave them this command. He says this in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Consecrate, meaning set yourselves apart. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord, your God. Keep my decrees, follow them, and I am the Lord who makes you holy. See, even in the, the nation of Israel, they didn't have to clean themselves up by themselves. There was an obedience and a following after God, but it was the working of God in and through their lives, just as it is in our life. Your life is being set apart from the world's expectations. Your life is being set apart from the world's aspirations. You're destined, more, you're destined for more than just keeping up with the Joneses. But the question is this, are we, are we willing to allow God to lead our life? towards a life of surrender and obedience? Or will we fight for our place to do things our will and our way? Are we willing to, to listen to the Spirit's leading and even confront or correct habits that are not for God's glory or God's purposes? That's what Paul is kind of laying out at this point. That when we surrender our life to God, it was intended to be a lifestyle of surrender back to God. And it's ours to allow the Spirit to begin to shape us and form us. It makes me think a little bit of, uh, of junior high dance. Remember that? All the guys are standing against one wall. All the girls are standing against another wall. Uh, certain songs play and some people grab somebody and some people step out. But some of us just continue to hug the wall, right? And I think for us as Christ followers, we're kind of the same way, aren't we? The three kind of dancers when it comes to the obedience back to God. There are reluctant dancers, people who, who really don't want to go out or be asked, but they're there. There are realistic dancers. They're, they're open to an invitation, and they'll get on the dance floor, but they know they're not exactly dancing material. But then there are ready dancers. There are people who came to the dance, made a commitment, even maybe brought somebody to dance with, and they have been ready to dance as soon as the music began. And I think that kind of describes the metaphor of Christians sometimes. 
Sometimes we're reluctant, meaning we, we gave our life to Christ and we're hoping God does something, but we're kind of just hugging the wall and showing up because we were told to. Or, or maybe we're, we're, we're realistic. We're like, okay, I know I've got some changes to make. If God prompts me, maybe I'll change. But what God wants from us is to be ready. That when we surrender our lives, that we would be responsive. That we would be prepared to allow God to work in our lives. Listen to what, what Paul continues to say as he challenges these young Christians. He says this in verse 12. Therefore, he says it again. It's piggybacking off of what he just said. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, a duty. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. Paul, Paul takes this, this giant idea of being made right before God and living out his righteousness to the world around you and says, hey, this is such a gift. This is a gift. And because you now know the freedom that comes of having a relationship with Christ, this is not something to be kept to yourself. But you have an obligation. You have a duty to allow the forgiveness of God to not only permeate your life, but to begin to impact lives around you. The way that you would think, act, and speak would actually begin to, to bear fruit so that people might see the character of God in your life and be transformed by it. See, we live in a world that seems to be caught up in rights and duties, right? I mean, all you have to do is jump on Facebook for a moment and you begin to see how people like to talk about their rights or their privileges or what they expect. And duty, responsibility, obligation is almost a, it's almost a dirty word in our culture today. But Paul presses into the Christian community and he says this, if you have given your life to Jesus... If you have accepted the forgiveness of sins, you've repented of your way, and you're now trying to follow in obedience, prompted by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, impacted by the Holy Spirit, then you have an obligation to live differently to the world around you. That there are people who need to know your love, your transformation. See, we almost think that God's grace is a right for every human being, but it it's a gift. It was God's will and God's choice that he would provide our salvation. It was God's will and God's choice that we would not get the wrath that we would deserve. It was God's will and God's choice that his son, Jesus, would die our death on the cross. And when we receive that gift, how, how can we just take it and keep it to ourselves? We have a duty and a responsibility. And Paul gets very candid that while this is a gift from God, it is ultimately the responsibility of every Christ follower to live a transformed life. Sure, we get to live out our faith with the empowerment of God, but Paul says, we have to. We have to. It's our obligation as those who have experienced the love of Jesus to live differently in the world that we're a part of today. It's time that we accept God's full invitation into the dance. It's time that we let God lead us. Because dancing with the Spirit requires letting Him, meaning God, take the lead. So think about this for a moment. In your own personal walk, 
Do you find yourself fighting with God or following God's lead? Do you find yourself stuck in your faith in this season? Or do you find yourself flourishing? And we must become a people of surrender and allow God to permeate every portion of our being so that we might live out the fullness of God's character, fully mature, fully expressed, his presence apparent in our lives. No longer can we be the type of people who just wait for somebody else to read our Bible or to pause to pray. No longer can we be the kind of people to to wait for our pastor or some sort of spiritual influencer to kind of push us to do something and grow. No longer can we be the type of Christian that waits for someone else to respond or someone else to take care of a need. No longer can we be the kind of Christian who, who doesn't reach out or doesn't go across the room when they see somebody who's hurting. No longer can we be the kind of people who just sit back and wait for God to do what we want. We must become the people of God who recognize that God is already at work within our world and God is leading us towards opportunity to people and needs and wounds and hurts to be light in the darkness, to be hope for the hopeless, to be the healthy amongst the sick, to be broken so that we might bring healing to a world around us. We are obligated by God to accept our calling and our identity before others, to be the very people who bring the presence of God with them because it's in them. If we call ourselves Christ followers, if we call ourselves Christians, those forgiven by Jesus, we have no condemnation before God. We should be confident in what God is doing in our lives and through us. We're no longer alone, but now we're considered adopted and children of the king. We are heirs with Jesus. We're now a part of his family. It's time for us to begin to live as the very Christians, the Christ followers that we say that we are, children of the king. Or it's time for us to either change our name or change our life. But sitting in the status quo of where we've been is not who we can afford to be any longer. So what will it be? Will we live out the identity of the Spirit in us, transforming us for God's glory and God's honor? Or will we continue to be the Christians who sit on the corners being good, nice people, but not changing the world around us? Paul begins to speak into this to a young, young disciple, a young follower of Jesus that he's pouring his life into. And he, he says it to him this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1. What you have heard from me, keep as a a pattern or a rhythm of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. This is the priority. Guard the good deposit. He's talking about the salvation, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life from Jesus that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, this would be a great place for us to maybe stop and to pause and maybe pray and finish up our message and say, yeah, that's, that's what we got to do. Stay in step with the Spirit. Live like Jesus in every moment. Let's go be those people. But there's some things that have been weighing on my heart that I feel like I probably need to say. Uh, there's a song lyric that starts, there's something wrong with the world today, and I don't know what it is. It's a song by Aerosmith begins to describe how there's something wrong with our eyes and we're seeing things a different way. And God knows it ain't his 
meaning his view. Our world is so out of step with the Holy Spirit, and I think sometimes as a church, we can be the kind of people where we just unpack a passage and just move on and say, okay, I need to pray harder, I need to read more, I need to be more kind to the people next to me. But what we need to do is really address some of the injustices and the heartache in the world that we're a part of today. As May comes to a close, there's just a lot to think about. There have been two glaring stories in the media that have hurt both my heart and my mind. There are two names that are attached to this hurt. Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd. Those two names take me back to when I was living in Florida and Trayvon Martin was unnecessarily pursued and killed. You know, most of the times when we preach, we just get through the text, we kind of lay out some application, we move forward and we allow you to to kind of just chew on it and move forward. But I think we need to press into this as a community right now. I think we need to wrestle with our hearts and our minds and what's, what's going on with our society that we are so out of step. In the season of COVID-19, as I'm walking with people in this journey, as I'm talking to uh, healthcare workers or individuals in my community neighborhood or, or people that are serving in different ways, I hear things like depression and anxiety are on the rise. Isolation and loneliness is overwhelming. Domestic violence, domestic disputes are spiking in a way that we haven't seen before. Suicide and aggression in all sorts of forms is showing up all throughout our community. But when it comes to jogging through a neighborhood or even being arrested, these should not lead to someone's death. These tragedies of lives lost in America, especially amongst African Americans, is more than tragic. It is an epidemic. At its core, it is an evil prejudice. Racism? Yeah. Even more so, this is the degradation of humanity. It's a spit in the eye to the image of God. This is not an issue of liberal versus conservative. This is an an issue of is life sacred or is it not? Does every life matter? From the womb to the tomb, every life should matter. Red and yellow, black and white, we should all be precious in God's sight. I've had the privilege to know some incredible people in my life who happen to be African-American. These people have shaped me deeply. And these tragedies continue to happen and they scar my soul. As as my friends, they are devastated and they are enraged and they should be. But this is more than just a race issue. This is more than just a systemic issue of our culture. This is a spiritual issue for humanity. No longer can we just be the hashtag love God, love people type of people, like it fits on a t-shirt or on, on some sort of coffee mug or even worse, some sort of Christian slogan. We want God to move in our community in mighty ways. We want God to show up, but God wants to show up in us, through us, in the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we care for every human life. We want to talk about dancing in the spirit? Sure, we can. 
but it won't matter unless we as Christ followers allow God to lead us into some of the most difficult and uncomfortable places in our world until the Spirit of Christ exposes the depravity of our walk, until the Spirit of Christ is lived out around us, until the Spirit of Christ in us is greater than even the cause before us, until the Spirit of Christ is in us, driving out the hatred and the darkness that is within us. We will be called to repent, to lament, to mourn, to change our allegiance of self and our traditions, and our preferences, and our biases. Our silence in the church, and our absence as the people of God has been deafening. And where are we called to stand? We're called to stand with the oppressed, the hurting, the outcasts. How will we bring justice in a world full of brokenness? By standing in the gap, by defending those who are oppressed, by standing up on their behalf. And the question becomes, who's going to answer that call? Who's going to allow God to use them to stand up in this moment? Micah 6.8 says it this way. He has shown you, O mortal humanity, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Our world wants to see a church that is in step with the Spirit, and if it actually makes a difference. And so as we mourn the loss of those who should not have been killed in the month of May, as we mourn the injustices that happen in homes, behind closed doors, violence, depression, suicide, and all the things that wage against humanity, the question is this, where will we be found, church, in the community that we're a part of? Will we be reaching out? Will we be serving? Will we be standing up for those who are broken? Or will we be standing with ourself? Out of the storm, out of harm's way, in our safety. Let's pray. God, it's by the power of your spirit that we even live and breathe. And so as we talk about being in step with your spirit, God, we would ask that you would bring us to a heart of repentance. God, if we have distanced ourselves from you when it comes to uh, just our obedience or our belonging, uh, a next step of faith, even the way that we leverage our wallet when those are hurting, then God, break our hearts. Because God, what good is it for us to be in step with the Spirit if our steps don't lead to the wounds and the hurt and the people that you want to reach? God, may you move us. May you change us. And for your glory and your honor, may we be found faithful and obedient to your leading for our lives today. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. What does your dance with the Holy Spirit look like? For me, it looks a lot like refinement. 
There have been moments in my life where the Holy Spirit has pushed me in a certain direction. There have been moments in my life where the Holy Spirit has pulled me in certain directions to try to get me on the path that I should be on. Uh, There was a moment in my life where the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart, said, Roland, you're telling a great story here. Like you're telling an amazing, awesome story about your life, but there's something that's off. There's something not right. There's something missing. The Holy Spirit told me that my story isn't about me. I'm not the main character of my story. Jesus Christ should be the main character of my story and and God's glory. So in that moment, I had to respond. Was I going to continue to live for myself and what I wanted? Or was I going to live for Jesus Christ and God's glory? Right now, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, pulling and pushing at your heart, and you have an opportunity to respond. You can go to fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday and give. Through the Give app, G-Y-V-E, we've been able to have the COVID-19 Relief Fund. Now, this fund has helped thousands of people in the Champaign-Urbana area and also around the world. So we thank you guys for your generosity. We thank you for what you're doing. Please continue to give, and we praise God for what he's doing in our world. Every week here at First, we take communion. We remember that we have victory over sin and death because it's Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the juice and he said, this is my blood shed for you. This is a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know your views on God, but I want you to know right now that Jesus loves you unconditionally, no matter where you're at. And you have an opportunity to respond to that love. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to sing some songs. I invite you guys to sing with us in your living rooms as loud as you can. But I also invite you to take a step back, pause, reflect, and respond to God's unconditional love for you. Let's sing.